put your hands together for the wonderful Dawn Llewellyn. Thank you. I'm really pleased I can't actually see anyone in the audience. <laughs> so, so this is a story about uh, me losing my dignity and um, finding uh, an aspect of my personality and identity that I didn't know existed and probably I haven't. <laughs> It was the night that I became that woman. You actually all know her. You've probably met her a few times before. Perhaps when you're walking home late at night after a couple of beers with your mates or you're coming home late from work. Maybe in Chester, normally I'm very frequent actually. Or maybe in another city or town. You know her because she's shouting loudly on the opposite side of the street to the one that you're walking on. She's saying something that sounds like ducking banker, but it's not quite ringing true what she's on about. And um, she's probably carrying her shoes in her hand, and if you look a little bit more closely, the mascara is down her face, and her lips are definitely smudged. But what you've probably also uh, been, your attention's been drawn to is the guy that's walking just a little bit in front of her. <laughs> he's got his head down, he's shaking his head occasionally, he sometimes waits and pauses for her to catch up. She's a bit unsteady on her feet at this point in the evening. And uh, you can see him just waiting for her to catch up and occasionally looking back. It's him that you feel sorry for. It's him that you're thinking about. So it was my mum and dad's 40th wedding anniversary and we decided to treat them to a slap-up restaurant meal in a posh, fancy-pants restaurant in Mayfair. There was me and my partner, Bran, and my sister, Claire. It was the kind of restaurant where you book months in advance. It was the kind of restaurant that you, um, uh, when you get there, they kind of say, welcome, sir and madam, and you're not really sure who they're talking to when they use those words. <laughs> my mum loved Angela Hartnett. You know, the Welsh woman off the TV that's on a lot of the cooking programmes. And my mum loves her because she's Welsh and because she's the only woman that ever gets a spot on Great British Menu. So that's where we were going. We got to the restaurant, we were all behaving ourselves. I've got a dress on, Brown has got a suit on, Brown, my partner, has got a suit on, my dad is wearing a suit, and my sister and my mum look beautiful. It's the kind of restaurant where you don't just have a starter and a main course and then a dessert, but you have a tasting menu that might have six or seven courses. They don't have a wine list, they've got a thing called a flight. It's the kind of place that's got starch, tablecloth, and napkins, but you're not actually allowed to touch the napkin. You have to wait for the waiter to put it on your lap for you. And those waiters, they're kind of deathly quiet. They're eerily silent. They kind of skulk around, pouring water, taking your plates away seamlessly. And they also pour the wine quite quietly and quite stealthily. And I think it was their quiet invisibility with the wine my family's loud, really loud. I'm actually the quiet one. Some of you have met me, you know that's quite difficult to believe. My dad particularly is a larger than life, very gregarious character. He loves having a good time and he normally has a good time wherever he is, whatever he's doing and whoever he is with, particularly on family occasions. And if he's having a lovely time, he gets louder and louder and louder and as the waiters kept ever pouring the wine, his volume increased. What tends to happen at this point is that I'd like to get a little bit embarrassed about my dad being quite so 
came out, particularly in the posh restaurant where everyone else is having intimate conversations and romantic get-togethers uh, around their white dark tablecloths. I try and rein him in, and I don't know why after 40 years I keep attempting to rein him in, because it never works. He pays no attention to anybody ever trying to rein him in. But what I hadn't noticed was that as I was contemplating on keeping him quiet, louder too because I hadn't noticed the wine that was kept being poured into my glass. So he's getting quieter and I'm getting louder. And as I get louder, I tend to gesticulate more wildly than I normally do. And I think like all of us, we suddenly find important things to say that everybody in the restaurant needs to hear about right now. I was having a particularly impassioned enlightened moment in the topic of conversation that was going to be life-changing for everybody during dessert. <laughs> I don't actually remember what we were talking about, but more of my memory lapses later. It was a mango parfait, and I quite remember this mango parfait because it was kind of creamy and it was tart and it was a little bit sweet. And I remember thinking, heavy mouthful, that's about four quid a teaspoon. <laughs> so as I was making a very important point around the family table, my sister sat opposite me, I've got my mango parfait, and it's a great tool for enhancing the point we're trying to make. So as I'm gesticulating, the mango parfait goes flying over the table and lands in front of my sister. Big splodge, big orange splodge, expensive orange splodge. I've basically started a food fight in a Michelin star. <laughs> the next day, I got up, didn't have a hangover. I was feeling kind of quite chipper and all excited about the lovely evening. I started talking to Bran about it. with the blackened squid thing. That was amazing. The wine was fantastic, wasn't it? God, we think we drank a lot. <laughs> Do you think mum and dad had a nice time? Well, they did. Everyone felt kind of treated and special. And the evening had been a really special family moment. Couldn't help noticing Bran wasn't quite so chippy and enthusiastic about me retailing the game stories from the night before. So I was just trying to jolly him along with my incessant chatting. It wasn't working. He was really grumpy. He was really grumpy. Really kind of stone and silent and just <laughs> every time I was chatting. And in the end, he kind of snapped. Do you not remember what happened after the restaurant? <laughs> Do you remember how you got home? Gone. I was a bit confused. I was a bit perplexed. I presume he, you know, I remember walking through town and getting on the central line and getting on the tube to our little flat in North Acton. So I didn't really understand what he meant. And then he started to carefully and explain, carefully and quite slowly explain my antics from the night before. He'd left the restaurant, finished some meals, and I'd been quite keen to go for another drink. <laughs> we tried a bar next to the restaurant, but they were charging five quid to get in, and being from South Wales, we weren't really happy about that, so we decided to ditch it. <laughs> so we said goodbye to the family, but my disquiet and unhappiness at not being able to go for a drink was starting to bubble up, apparently. He was in you know, my tone, my sweet tummy. And apparently it was all Bran's fault that there were no bars and nowhere for me to go and there wasn't another drink on the card on the way home. I couldn't quite keep this to myself. 
I thought it was a really good idea to shout at Fran for the whole 45 minutes during the home about what an abomination of um, cognitive injustice this was that we didn't have enough drinks. The other thing I was a bit cross with him about was that as we were walking home, and he does know London quite well, and I don't really, so he's, he was literally taking us home in a safe way. But he dared to walk on the left-hand side of the road rather than the right-hand side of the road. And I thought this was an affront to humanity and all that was dear to me. So again, I didn't quite edit that down. I didn't kind of just let it go. And, and uh, we got to the station and uh, he was trying to placate me as I was rowing and effing and blinding at him the whole way to the station. He um, was trying to kind of keep me calm because it wasn't working. So he got on another carriage on the tube just to get peace and quiet from this shouting, wailing woman who couldn't believe that there wasn't a bar open and he'd walked on the left-hand side of the road. He got off the tube at Acton and all I've managed to do is keep talking at him as we got on the tube and then seem to pick up my swearing at him when we got off the tube. And, and 45 minutes later, we're home. I didn't recall any of this that morning. I had woken up and couldn't remember how we got home at all. Whatever had happened, I had never met this woman that had appeared <laughs> that night. I didn't even know she existed, but I'm pretty sure it was the mango parfait that had unleashed her into the wild world. <laughs>